And if you realize, if you're listening, every week, uh, whoever's doing the announcements ends it the same way, that we might engage every neighbor with a surprising power of grace. That is going to be our theme of our new study that we're beginning this morning and taking us through the fall. Turn in your Bibles or your mobile devices to the book of Galatians. We're beginning a series called The Surprising Power of Grace. God has used the book of Galatians to change my life. God has used the book of Galatians to change this church's life. God has used the letter to the Galatians to change the world. And God, I believe, is going to use the letter to the Galatians to change our lives this fall. The surprising power of grace, and our theme this morning is the power of clarity. The power of clarity when the gospel is clearly taught, clearly embraced, clearly articulated, and clearly believed. But what happens when the gospel gets garbled? It's easy to miss the beauty of the story of Christ. To give you an illustration of what a garbled story looks like, I'm sure you've heard of the story of Cinderella, but have you ever heard the story of Rindersella? I hope I can get through this. See if you can follow along. Tons upon a wine in a corn country, there lived a beautiful girl, and her name was Rindersella. Rindersella lived with her mugly other and her two steen septmisters. Her sticked mepwether and her two sisty step uglers made Rindersella do all the wordy dirk around the house. Wasn't that a shirty dame? Also, in the same corn country, there lived a very Pransom Hintz. Now, this Pransom Hintz was going to have a Bansy fall. So he invited all the people for Ryle's Amound, especially the Pitch Reeple. So Rinder Seller's mugly other and her two sigly usters went out to get some dancy fresses to wear to the Bansy fall. But Rinder Seller couldn't go because all she had to wear was some old wordy dags. So she just cat down and scried. Well, she was kitten there scrying when all of a sudden there appeared her merry fudguther. <laughs> she waved her wagic mond, and there appeared before her a keg boach and hicks sight horses to take Rinder Cellar to the Bansy Fall. But she warned her, you be home before a nidmite or it'll turn into a tumpkin. So Rinder Cellar went to the Bansy Fall where she was debt at the moor by the Pransom Hints because he had been watching from behind a wooden hindo. And as soon as they met, they lull and fuv. They nanced all dight until nidmite. Then the strock clucked nidmite. And Rindersella staced down the rares. And just as she beached the rotom, she slopped her dripper. <laughs> the next day, there was another proil proclamation saying that all the curls in the kingdom had to try on the sass clipper. So the next day, the pransom hints went all over the corn country looking for the beautiful burl. He came to Rindersella's house and trotted on her mugly other. And it fiddened it. <laughs> he tried it on her two sigly usters, and it fiddened it. Then he tried it on Rinder It fiddened it. 
So they were larried and lived happily ever after. No, this garbled. Yeah. I've been looking for a new calling. Maybe I found it. This is a hilarious story. It's garbled. It's a mess. It's hard to follow. It's funny when it comes to something like Rindersella. It's no laughing matter when it comes to the gospel. And yet the gospel is so easily garbled in our minds, in our hearts, in our churches, in our culture. And to show that to Paul it's no laughing matter, he is as agitated as he ever gets as he begins writing this letter. Paul is saying that everything depends on clarity in the gospel. Now, to give you the historical context, the churches of Galatia were started by Paul and Barnabas. You can read this in Acts 13 and 14 on their first missionary journey. They went through the region of southern Turkey and they planted churches in the various cities. They did a little bit of follow-up and discipleship, but, but then they had to leave. And when they left, there were some false brothers. They thought they were Christians, but they were false teachers who had come from the church in Jerusalem. Now, I know if you know anything about the church in Jerusalem, that's where Peter, James, and John were, the, the, the real so-called disciples who'd been with Jesus. And so these false teachers who'd come from Jerusalem, they were misinterpreting what Peter, James, and John were saying, but they attacked Paul as not really being a true apostle because he didn't come from the training of Peter, James, and John. As a matter of fact, they said Paul was watering down the gospel. What they were saying was that part of repentance was not only turning to Jesus, but turning to the practice of the Jewish religion. So Jesus, they said, got you started, but Moses takes you all the way home into the love and delight of the Father. Paul, in most of the first chapter, defends his apostleship. He defends the authority and proclaims the clarity of the true gospel. You guys think you came from Jerusalem, from the, from the apostles in Jerusalem? I received the gospel from Jesus himself. I saw the resurrected Christ. I didn't receive the gospel from humans. And I wasn't sent by a church. I wasn't sent by humans. I was sent by Jesus himself. And Paul clarifies this gospel so that the truth of it might remain with us. Not just for the Galatians, but for the entire world for all time until Christ returns. So with that introduction, let's all stand out of reverence for Christ and follow along as I read Galatians 1, verses 1 through 12. This is God's Word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it just because He loves us. And He wants us to understand at the core of our being the truths, the unchanging truths of the gospel so that we might know Jesus and live for Him and live with Him forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this letter that, that so clearly articulates the gospel. God, open our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts, and God, may we see the beauty of Christ this morning in fresh ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So you need to understand something about these false teachers. They thought they were Christians. As a matter of fact, they would have agreed with Paul that Jesus was Messiah. They just believed that in following Jesus as Messiah, you needed to follow a certain lifestyle. You needed to follow the Jewish customs and laws. So Paul defends his apostleship and the gospel he preaches, and then he sets before us what is the true gospel. Basically, what he says is we need 3D clarity. What I mean by that is he warns us against diminishing the gospel, distorting the gospel, and deserting the gospel. We need 3D clarity. First D. Beware of diminishing the gospel. Look at verse 6. Paul says clearly that the Galatians were in danger of turning to a different gospel. Not that there really is another one. Now, you know the word gospel literally in the Greek is good news. Paul is saying you're in danger of diminishing the gospel for other gospels that aren't really good news. So what are the ways the false teachers were tempted 
to diminish the gospel. The same ways that we are tempted to diminish the gospel. Well, it always comes down to the same thing. Any cult, any off-base Christian proclamation comes down to one thing. Diminishing the sufficiency of the work of Christ. That's what diminishes the gospel. Minimizing the value of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So look how Paul begins in verse 2. He says he's an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now you need to realize that Paul isn't merely giving an apologetic or an evidence for the truth of the gospel, although it is that. For any of you here this morning that don't know Jesus or don't know if you believe God exists or Jesus is the Messiah, what are you going to do with the resurrection? It's an historical fact. People have tried to disprove it. It happened in time and space. So Paul is saying we have a resurrected Savior. But that's not all he's saying. Elsewhere in his letters, Paul points to the resurrection as related to something he calls justification. For example, in Romans 4.25, Paul says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now look how similar that is to verse 4 in Galatians 1. The gospel is about Jesus Christ who was delivered or gave himself for our sins to deliver us. So you can see the parallel between Romans 4 and Galatians 1. Paul says Christ was delivered for our transgressions, he gave himself for our sins, and was raised for our justification. Now here's what we need to understand. Paul refuses to diminish the gospel into just forgiveness. Now, I say that, just forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is that we are freed from the penalty of our sin. Okay, we deserve God's wrath for our sin. And Jesus took upon himself that wrath on the cross. So that as we put our trust in Christ, we're completely forgiven. Past, present, future. All of our sins are forgiven by the work of Christ on the cross. He's forgiven us all of our trespasses. But the gospel of Jesus Christ must not be diminished to only forgiveness. Resurrection tied to justification. What is justification? If you've been here before, you've heard me say this, but I never want you to forget it. To be justified is to be declared by the work of Christ just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd done everything right. You see, the false teaching of those people from Jerusalem was that Jesus got you started, but you need to commit yourself to Judaism. You need to take on the Jewish customs. You need to live out the Jewish laws. Paul says that diminishes the gospel. Jesus didn't merely die to forgive. He lived on our behalf. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Whenever I talk about what do you think the work of Christ is all about, people 
always tell me his work on the cross. What else? Uh, there isn't anything else, is there? How about you? When people ask you, tell me about the work of Christ, do you immediately go to the work on the cross? I, I hope you do. But what else? Folks, Jesus didn't merely die for you. He lived for you. And in some ways, that brings even more joy than knowing he died for me. He died for me. The wrath of God is removed. I'm free from prison. But he lived for me. He obeyed every command of the law on my behalf so that the Father says, come into my presence and experience all of my delight, all of my blessing, all of my favor because Christ purchased it for you by his obedient life. And when you come into my presence hoping in Christ, I am receiving you as I would receive Jesus himself. Now, does that seem too good to be true? That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. And then in verse 3, Paul soothes the troubled hearts of the Galatians by reminding them that because of Christ, we have grace and peace. What's grace? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. His substitutionary life and his substitutionary death. Again, how do you tend to diminish the gospel? Do you constantly keep in mind his sacrificial death alongside his substitutionary life? If there was one thing I could pound into Christians' hearts, it would be this. The life of Jesus is every bit as significant to your walk with God as the death of Jesus. Do not minimize the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Not only grace before God, but peace with God. What's peace? Peace is primarily not beautiful circumstances. Peace in the Bible is almost always referring to the removal of hostility between us and God. Most people work for peace. That's a good thing to do in the world, in families. But when it comes to God, we don't work for peace. It's granted us. You don't achieve peace with God. It's given to you by the work of Christ. Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're not just forgiven, we're justified. Don't minimize the gospel. You see, the false teachers came in and said the gospel is something like this. We've fallen off the boat, the ocean liner of life with God, and we are drowning in the sea of sin. So far, so good. The gospel, these false teachers said, is Messiah, Jesus, throwing us a life preserver. 
you need to grab onto it, and then following the commands of God, you need to take yourself by your own efforts to the life raft. Then you climb in the life raft, get on the boat, and captain yourself to safe harbor called heaven. That is diminishing the gospel. Paul says no. The gospel is this. We have fallen off the boat of life with God. We are drowning in the sea of sin. We are absolutely helpless. And Jesus doesn't throw us a life preserver. He is the life preserver. And he comes in a helicopter. And he doesn't just drop down the lifeline. He is the lifeline. And he doesn't call us to grab hold of the life preserver. He, as the life preserver, wraps himself around us. And he takes us with him into the helicopter that he pilots to the boat, which he captains to heaven. And he takes us all the way home in safety and peace and grace. How are you tempted to diminish the gospel? It is not just forgiveness. It is the right, unrighteous being declared righteous by the righteous life of Christ. Most of our problems in the Christian life come from diminishing the gospel and minimizing the finished work of Christ. Secondly, not only to be aware of diminishing the gospel, secondly, beware of distorting the gospel. It comes right from the text. Look at verse 7. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. To distort means to turn it upside down. It means to turn it on its head. So the true gospel that Paul preaches is that we focus on what Christ did more than what we do. The false gospel turns that on its head and ends up focusing more on what we do instead of what Christ did. Specifically, the false teachers focused on repentance being related to becoming Jewish, following Jewish customs, following Jewish laws. So specifically, what the false teacher distorted was the use of the law in the Christian life. Now, there are two abuses of the law that I want to talk about this morning that we're going to run into throughout Galatians over and over again. The first abuse of the law that distorts the gospel is called legalism. Legalism technically means that you're looking to your own performance of the commands of God to actually earn you heaven. In other words, you're trying to build your own record of righteousness instead of helplessly casting yourself on Christ's record of righteousness. That's legalism. Looking to works of the law to bring you to heaven. If you believe that, you are not a Christian. You are still dead in your sins. See, distorting the gospel is allowing any mixture at all for self in the equation. So, you ready for an evaluation? 
If you're trusting 99.99% in the finished work of Christ for eternal life, and you're trusting 0.01% in your own record of righteousness, you are still dead in your sins. You are not saved. You might be saying, oh, Bob, what am I supposed to do? Cast that and that unbelief on the blood of Christ. You see, faith is the empty hands receiving what God provides. Faith is recognizing the only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. And if you begin to distort the gospel so that you think you contribute anything to eternal life, you've garbled the story. Legalism. Beware of distorting the gospel. Now, the second distortion of the law that Galatians talks about, that Paul writes about in Galatians, is called nomism. Okay, legalism is you're trying to build your own record to get to heaven. Nomism is from the Greek word namos, which means law. Nomism is trusting Jesus as Messiah, but thinking in order to have God's delight, favor, and blessing every day, it's dependence upon your, it dependent upon your performance of the law. So, in a sense, only a Christian can practice nomism. I know because I did for a bunch of years as a new Christian. Or was I a new Christian? See, I believed I was trusting in the finished work of Christ for eternal life. But I was trying to gain a sense of God's approval and delight based on my obedience to the commands. You know what the result was? I never had a sense of God's favor and delight because I was at least aware enough to know that the commands of God was love God perfectly 24-7 with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself perfectly 24-7. Now, do you really think you're doing that? Jesus said that's the sum of the whole law. You want, to, you want to know what the Jewish law is? Love God perfectly, love your neighbor perfectly. Just go do that. Now, do you realize the bind I was in? I believed Jesus was Messiah who forgave my sins by dying on the cross. But I was practicing nomism for the Christian life. I was looking to my own performance of the law, not for heaven. See, there's the trap. I wasn't looking to my works for heaven. I was looking to my daily works and obedience and performance to gain a sense that God was pleased with me. And as a result of that distortion of the gospel, I was miserable. Matter of fact, men and women, I'll be honest with you, I became so miserable that I became convinced I was more satisfied as a non-Christian than I was as a Christian. And maybe you've been there. You see, legalism and nomism leads to frustration. 
Frustration leads to despair. And despair, well, that leads you to want to chuck the faith. How are you distorting the gospel? Now, Paul is so serious about distortion of legalism and nomism that there's something very unique about Galatians. Look at Galatians 1, verses 5 and verse 6. Verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Verse 6, I am astonished. You know anything about Paul's letters? There's something really, really unique here. There's no thanksgiving. One of the only letters Paul ever writes where there's no thanksgiving. He goes right from the basic introduction to agitation. I am astonished. You're giving in to distortions of the gospel. You're giving in to either legalism or nomism. You're turning to your own record of performance. And Paul has no time for thanks. You ever heard of a, a, like a bus accident or some uh, tragedy that involved a large number of people and they come into the emergency room and they have little like triage and some person maybe has a scrape, they're fine. Another person maybe needs stitches, okay, they're going to need some care, but, but we, we can let that wait. And then someone comes in with a broken leg, it's like, okay, a little bit more serious, but even still, this is not life-threatening. Then someone has a chest compression, okay, this is pretty serious, they may need to get some help. And then there's someone with their leg falling off. It's like, no time for discussion. We don't need to go through any charts. Get this person into surgery right now. That's what Paul is doing when it comes to distortions of the gospel. How serious do you think he is? Now, let me ask you this. All the other churches that Paul writes to, he gives thanksgiving. He thinks the Galatians, he doesn't have time for Thanksgiving. Their leg's fallen off. Now, let me give you the case study of what's going on. Case number one, let's say, is a church where they're, they're judging each other all the time. There's immorality of the worst kind. Some people even practicing incest. They put up with practicing homosexuality. And there are people getting drunk in church on the communion wine before the Lord's Supper. I mean, that's a mess of a church. Well, that church is the Corinthian church. And guess how Paul starts the letter? I thank my God for you. Case study number two, a church that is morally respectable and outwardly upright. They're confused about the role of the law in the gospel. That's the Galatian churches. And Paul says it's so serious, I'm not even going to take time to say thanks to God for you. Please hear me. He's not being harsh. 
he's revealing just how serious a distortion of the gospel is. You see, the Corinthians had hope. Even though they were a mess, they believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way out of of cheap grace, the way out of sin, the way out of disobedience is not by adding law or a distorted gospel. The way out is by preaching more gospel. And so Paul knew there was hope for the Corinthians. But when it came to the Galatians, they didn't have hope because they were believing a distorted gospel. If you're believing a distorted gospel, you're never going to be changed. So that is why Paul doesn't have time to stop and pause and build them up and say how thankful he is for them. He's so concerned they're going to die of a loss of blood. They're going to die from a loss of hoping in the blood of Jesus Christ. How are you tempted to distort the gospel? How are you tempted to diminish the gospel? And then lastly, beware of deserting the gospel. I gave my testimony early, right? I became so frustrated with a performance-oriented Christian life that it was no, not satisfying at all, and I wanted to chuck the whole thing. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Legalism leads to frustration, leads to despair, leads to desertion. And what happens is we desert a person. See, we're not deserting a lifestyle ultimately. What we desert is a person. When we transfer our trust from Jesus to ourselves, we are deserting a person. We need to be aware of the temptation. The longer we're a Christian, the temptation increases. Here's, here's how. We tend to change the rules when it comes to non-Christians and Christians. What we believe, if we're a good Bible-believing person, is the message the non-Christian most needs to hear is the message of the gospel. Right? They, they can't be converted without it. They can't be saved from the penalty of sin without it. The message the non-Christian needs to hear is the gospel, the gospel of God's grace. But once we're Christians, we have a tendency to desert the gospel for different rules. And we'll say the non-Christian needs the gospel, the Christian needs to hear about discipleship. The non-Christian needs the gospel, the Christian needs to hear about obedience. The non-Christian needs to hear the message of the gospel. The Christian needs to hear about Christian ethics. And we go on and on and on. No, Paul says, the message the non-Christian most needs to hear is the gospel. And the message the Christian most needs to hear is the gospel. We never move beyond the gospel. We just keep moving more deeply into it. And if we start with Jesus in the Christian life, so that we are in fact saved, but then we look for our sense of God's approval and delight to our own performance, 
That is deserting Christ in the Christian life. And Paul's going to say later, Christ is of no value to you if you live like that. Paul emphasizes the gospel from A to Z. As a matter of fact, in just 11 verses, Paul uses the word gospel seven times. You can read gospel in your text as a noun four times. Gospel, 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 gospel. But the rest of it's camouflaged in the English. Where Paul says preach, that word preach in the Greek is gospelize. It's the same word for good news, only it's a verb. So Paul says, if anyone gospelizes you with a gospel other than the gospel I gospelized to you, let them be accursed. If someone is good newsing you with a good news other than the good news that I good news to you, let them be accursed. Paul is saying we must not desert the gospel ever. The gospel is what saves you and delivers you. The gospel is what gives you your standing before God. The gospel is what gives you the confidence of God's pleasure in you. It is the obedient life of Christ as well as the substitutionary death of Christ. If anyone preaches a gospel other than the gospel that we have heard, let them be accursed. Now what happens if you begin to look for assurance from your efforts, at what time in that process do you actually end up deserting Christ for salvation? Put it another way. If you're gauging your justification, your salvation, by your sanctification, how you're growing, you're in trouble. Because it's not long before, how do you discern what you're really trusting in? Are you trusting in your Christian life as evidence that you're a Christian? Or are you trusting in Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong. We're going to talk about this throughout the series. I'm not saying obedience doesn't matter. I'm not saying godliness doesn't matter. I'm saying the only on-ramp to holiness and godliness is believing the gospel. The answer to people who are falling into cheap grace is not the law. The answer to people who are falling into cheap grace is a more biblical gospel. Let's think back to Rindersella, the fractured fairy tale with the garbled message. How garbled is the gospel in your life today? Because I'm here to tell you, there really is a pransom hints, and there's a fancy fall. Jesus is the prince of peace. And he wants to take us to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Where because we've hoped in him from start to finish, we will indeed live happily ever after. Do not diminish the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't ever desert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, if there's someone here this morning that maybe for the first time they realize they've mixed it up 
They're trusting in their own efforts rather than Jesus for forgiveness in eternal life. God, grant them faith and repentance toward Christ. Or Lord, maybe they're trusting mostly in Jesus and some in themselves. God, would you open their eyes that they're believing a false gospel and they need to trust completely in Jesus alone. Or God, maybe we're Christians and we're trusting Jesus for eternal life, but we're looking to our performance to gain that sense of your pleasure. God, enable us to turn back to the, to the life of Christ on our behalf. Well, Lord, maybe we're so frustrated, we're ready to chuck the faith. God, help us not to desert Jesus, but to keep going back to him again and again and again, realizing that whoever comes to you, Jesus, you'll never cast out. And then, oh God, would you make us a church that proclaims the good news, that we gospelize the gospel to all those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to hear the benediction, the promise of God's continued grace upon us through Christ Jesus. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship, presence, and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now.